the fact that our destructive behavior and our disturbing emotions and compulsive constructive behavior and our uh, disturbing attitudes centered around our preoccupation with ourselves, all these things that uh, we've discussed, the fact that they recur uncontrollably over and over again indicate that uh, these are very deeply embedded habits. So they are very strongly reinforced neural pathways in our brain and mental pathways of the way that uh, our minds work. But also we know from neuroplasticity of the brain, like the example of you become paralyzed on your right side and you can learn to use your left side because of that flexibility of the brain, it's possible to forge new neural pathways and new pathways of thinking. So this is something to think about. That uh, is this true? That it is possible to change the way that I think, to forge new neural pathways, new habits. Have I ever done it in my life? Is this something that I could do? And if I were to do that, to somehow override and eventually obliterate the negative habits, the negative pathways, would that make me happier? You know, what's underlying this is confidence that it is possible to be flexible. It is possible to change our habits. That's incredibly important to be convinced that, we're, that it is possible to do that. You know, when we have this attitude, well, I can never change, you know, that's the way I am. That locks us into very uh, unhappy patterns. Put it very, very simply. If I have, a, if I use my right hand normally to write, and I have a stroke and I become paralyzed on my right hand side, if it's possible, which it definitely is, for our brain to be rewired, for us to be able to write with our left hand. Is it possible also to rewire our way of responding to things from getting angry and losing our temper to having patience and understanding? That's the question. If it's possible to have that flexibility and rewiring on that physical level, we need to develop the confidence that it's possible in terms of other behavior, our emotions, and so on. That's the second aspect of refuge, confidence that it's possible to go in this direction. So we come to that conclusion, it is possible to change, to grow. 
to do things in new ways, better ways. We do that all the time anyway. When our you know, computer software and cell phone software gets updated, we might have some resistance at first, but we learn how to use it, don't we? We're never too old to learn and to adopt to something new. And actually, it's fun and exciting to do something new and different, isn't it? No need to be frightened. And then the second point is the fact that we can't perceive the interconnectedness and interdependence of everything and of everyone that indicates that our minds are limited. We don't see all the, what will be the results of anything that we do in the long term, any advice that we give to somebody that indicates our minds are limited. So what is responsible for this is that our minds tend to compartmentalize everything and everyone. We can't see the whole picture. You know, like we only consider small part of the picture, small part of variables. You know, if we do this, this is going to happen. We don't realize that so many other factors are going to affect what's going to happen. But if our minds aren't so tight and just looking at a small part of the picture like looking through a periscope from a submarine. But if we can open up more and more, we start to see larger and larger picture. You know, it's like when you have a, uh, a problem and you want to uh, uh, find a solution, you might just look at the problem itself and just say, well, that's going to solve it. But so you're just looking, you know, two steps. But what you need to do is say, well, if I do this solution, will it create more problems? You know, you have to look further than just step number one of the solution, because sometimes the solutions that we uh, uh, offer, let's say, of to our child going to school and you should do this and you should dress like that and so on. Well, we don't think of how their schoolmates <laughs> might react to that and it might create even more problems for the child. So if we can think larger, and we're capable of that, we'll see a larger picture. We'll be able to understand a little bit better, advise a little bit better. So, we need to think about this again to become convinced that if I can open my mind, that the mind is capable of thinking in a wider way, more holistic way, considering more and more variables, would it make me happier? 
Am I capable of that? And would it be something beneficial to try to do? I'll give a good example. I have a lot of work to do. So we think, well, if I work, you know, 12 hours a day, I'll get, you know, that work done that needs to be done. And we don't think further that if I work 12 hours a day and never take a break, I'm going to get burnout. What the concept, you know, it'll create more problems and not really solve the problem of getting this large amount of work done. This is what, what I'm talking about. So thinking like this, considering these points, then we can gain a little bit of confidence that if I were to be more flexible in my thinking, my way of behaving, if I could be more open in my mind, not so narrow in my thinking, that I'd be able to improve quality of my life. Something that would be a direction that I would like to go into, go in, and it's something that is possible to go in. So now we have the three emotional states that uh, we need to develop as our motivation for refuge, for going in this safe direction. What's usually called fear, belief or confidence, and compassion. So then, the issue is how to put them together. And these have to mean something, they have to make sense to us. So, fear, we saw, was being horrified at, uh, you know, not, oh, you know, I'm so afraid, but it's just, I'm horrified at the idea of continuing in these negative patterns. So, getting into fights and arguments, people not trusting us, not wanting to be with us, rejecting us or ignoring us, being cut off from others, getting, being lonely, depressed. Are we afraid of that? Happening is that something that we really don't want to happen? I would be horrified that if that continues for the rest of my life. That's this first part of the emotion that we want to uh, generate here. If this is happening, I'm horrified that it is going to continue. This would be awful. And I'm horrified at the idea that I'm just repeating it over and over again. Is that really what we want to be, to be a bitter old man or old woman that nobody wants to be with, and wherever, whenever we're, anybody comes to see us, all we do is complain, and everybody can't wait to get away from us? And then we sit lonely by ourselves? Is that the direction we want to go in our lives? You know, we don't need to think about the hells. This is horrifying enough.
So there are two types of fear. One is the fear with which uh, we feel that it's hopeless. We inflate a helpless me and what we fear and the fear itself, and we make them into solid, permanent things. There's nothing I can do. Poor me. It's hopeless. No flexibility there. That's not the type of fear that we're talking about here. That just paralyzes us. What we want instead is knowing, having confidence that there is a way to avoid this thing that we're horrified at, just on a very simple level, when we feel like acting destructively, there's a space between when you feel like doing it, you feel like yelling at somebody, and when we compulsively do it. You can slow down, then you can use your discriminating awareness and decide, am I going to really yell even though I feel like yelling or not? It's not inevitable that you're going to yell just because you feel like yelling. You know, if we have this pattern of always losing our temper, well, there is that space between when you feel like, you know, being angry and when you actually, you know, when it manifests in action, we do what we say. So there's hope. We can... It's not, it's not that we're helpless. We have the ability to change the way that we respond to things. That's this second aspect of the state of mind that we use to, with refuge, confident that it's possible to change. We don't have to continue these horrible patterns that we have. And we're confident on that based on reason, like with the example of the neuroplasticity of the brain. It's not predetermined that we're automatically always going to be act in a certain way. We can reprogram ourselves, you know, debug the program of how your mind works. Reboot your mind. Voidness meditation is like that, rebooting your mind. So that's the first type of confidence. Confidence based on reason, that it is possible to change. It is possible to be more open-minded. Second type of confidence, explained in Buddhism, is what's called uh, clear-headed confidence. And it is the type of confidence that, you know, that we can change that clears our head, clears our minds of feeling frustrated, annoyed, or resentful that we are refraining from acting out what we feel. For instance, 
I feel like yelling at you and saying something really nasty. But I'm confident that I can shut up <laughs> and not say it. Because if I say it, it's going to, you're going to get angry. We're going to get into a big you know, argument and discussion. It's going to be a very ugly scene. But I don't have to say what I feel like saying. Now, you could feel very frustrated and annoyed and resentful in terms of, you know, I'm just bottling it inside and, you know, I really want to say it, this type of uh, thing. So it's a disturbing state of mind. But if you're confident that it is possible and it is reasonable to refrain from uh, saying these nasty things, then you don't feel that resentment. You don't feel frustrated. This is this aspect of uh, confidence and belief that's important to develop. And the third type of confidence is the confidence with which we aspire then to, to be able to avoid acting out, you know, and just making ugly scenes. Confident that I can do that. Confident that this is what I want to do. Aim for it. So this is what we want to combine here. We see, using this example, that if I yell and say nasty things to you in response to what you said, it's going to make a big ugly scene. I'm horrified at that. We've had enough ugly scenes. Gets us nowhere. Makes us both unhappy. And I'm confident that it is possible to refrain I'm not frustrated at that because I know that this is best. This is what I aspire toward. You see these two, that fear or being horrified and confidence go together. And then this is the direction that I want to go in. Work on myself so that I don't just automatically respond in a negative way. Like a dog that's poked and then I just growl. Let me think about that. Apply that to some relevant example, relevant to our lives. You know, I am, um, you know, I'm in the pattern of whenever somebody comes to see me, I just complain all the time about how horrible everything is, how horrible the world is, how horrible my life is, and so on. And nobody really wants to be with me. And the result is that I'm lonely and depressed. Horrified at that. Don't want to continue that. And so when I'm with somebody and that impulse comes up, that feeling to comp start complaining, I will not act it out. That's what I'm going to work on doing. And I'm confident that if I do that, it's going to really improve my relations with these people. Nobody wants to hear my complaints. That's the direction we want to go in. Stop complaining all the time. Doesn't help. Just makes things worse. Drives other people away. If we do that in a proper way, we don't feel frustrated. at all. you know, me, me, me. I have to say my complaints. They're so important.
And remember, if something is bothering us, there's nothing wrong in explaining it to somebody. There's a big difference between explaining what is bothering us and complaining with the attitude of poor me. Quite a difference. And then we combine this with compassion. We'll use this example of complaining with this poor me attitude. If I continue like that, I'm horrified. It just drives people away, lonely, depressed. Really don't want that to happen. I'm confident that it is possible to overcome that, make new habits in which something's bothering me. I can just explain it without this poor me attitude. And the compassion aspect is that I don't want to dump all my garbage on you in terms of, you know, complaining and throwing all my complaints on top of you. It just drives you away. So I have compassion for you that I don't want to, you know, pollute your head with all my junk. The three go together. Fear, confidence, compassion. Then really want to go in this direction of working on myself to forge a better habit. Digest that. And this is what refuge is all about. Putting this direction in our life. Positive. Safe. Working to prevent, to avoid more and more unhappiness, more problems, step by step, all the way to ultimate step of becoming a Buddha. And even just taking a few steps would be incredibly worthwhile. And if I were to do that, that would really make a significant change in my life. Is that change in our life what refuge is all about? It gives us meaning, purpose. Okay. As I said previously, that without this foundation, very firm refuge, this direction in life, to aspire, oh, I want to do advanced tantra, I want to do kala chakra, I want to do all this fancy practice. There's no foundation. What are we doing it for? Why? Has to have that foundation. On that foundation, everything has a stable basis. It's part of the whole picture of going in a safe direction. 
We're doing this practice in order to avoid suffering and be of more help to others on a real level, sincere level, not just blah, blah, blah words. That's the question to ask ourselves when we are so excited to do these advanced practices. Do I really even actually take refuge properly? <laughs> and it's interesting when you look at Ngundro, preliminary practices, you know, these nasty things that you have to repeat a hundred thousand times. If you do it prematurely with no meaning behind just, you know, reciting a verse and, you know, doing prostrations, has very little effect. What are we really doing with it? We are making a new neural pathway by actually generating the actual sincere state of mind of going in this direction, putting this direction in our life, which means really understanding it, really having worked on it, and now generating it in our, in our minds while we recite a verse or while we're prostrating, and then a hundred thousand times with mindfulness, and that starts to build up a new neural pathway. That's the whole purpose of it. It's quite scientific, the approach to it. And of course, a hundred thousand isn't sufficient to override beginningless negative pathway. So we continue throughout our course of uh, practice. Every practice starts with refuge. It's not just blah, blah, blah. You know, that's why we, you know, His Holiness calls it a science of mind. We're rewiring our minds. More beneficial habits. Very scientific way. Repeat. So you do in daily meditation, repeat over and over again. What you do with Ngundro, repeat. Build up a new pattern. Build up a new habit, new neural pathway. And not just in meditation, daily life as well. And of course, each of us have different responsibilities in life. Different things that we have to take care of. Not all of us can devote 100% time to this, obviously. But it's the direction we want to go in. We do it, we can. Okay, so I think we have a lot, of, lot to think about. So please reflect on all of this and we'll continue tomorrow. So we end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper, forge a new neural pathway. So go deeper and deeper so that we're better able to go in some positive direction all the way to enlightenment, be of best help to everyone. May everyone be able to do this. Okay, thank you.